episode 11 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we love to talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, The Late Show, and other D-Generation comedy tidbits. My name is Matt, and joining this podcast today is, in alphabetical order, Alison, Daniel, Kim, and Tony. So, Prue is not part of this episode today, but we do have Tony, our movie guru. (laughs) It's great to have you back, Tony, for, for uh, another episode. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. And uh, I guess we, yeah, we're all great and, yeah, just absorbed more Late Show, really. So we're ready for episode 11, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Cool. So after a great episode 10 um, with Danny Tregoning, uh, thank you very much for being a part of it. We got some feedback, actually. So... <laughs> okay i did steal that from the late show's back chat special which was in between episode 10 and 11 originally broadcasted in 1992 that was when they took their first best bits really i remember that i remember watching the the back chat special and and that was when i realized that i'd actually missed the first episode because i saw sketches in that back chat special that i didn't remember from the previous weeks so so that's when the kind of the pieces fit together back for me in 1992 yeah and uh they were essentially taking what gerard henderson nowadays would call a well-earned break (laughs) um Because uh, like we, we also found out in one of the, I think it was the Green Guide uh, cover story, that um, they'd been con- contracted by the ABC to provide 10 episodes, and if they were any good, they'd get another 10. So basically this was sort of their little break between contracts, really. Okay, I have positive and somewhat of a Warnicky borderline fidgen. So where shall we start? Which one's worse, Warnicky or fidgen? Fidgen or Warnicky? Surprise us, Matt. Okay, we'll start with a Warnicky. Yeah. Okay, and this one, oh, uh, is it's all because of episode ten where we launched that uh, a product of its time little jingle, and <laughs> yeah, forget about Bluey being top of the aria charts. What about product of its time? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry for everyone for making your ears bleed for that. So Darren on Facebook <laughs> wrote the overuse of that phrase, a product of its time, on the podcast is beyond cringy and almost makes me want to switch off. To be honest. Okay, fair enough. We get it. The garbage that is political correctness is ruining comedy and the world has gotten so regressive and backwards. We don't need to be reminded every two minutes. But, you know, aside from that, the efforts of the podcast can be commended. So, uh, <laughs> oh, thank yeah, a bit you. of a pat on the Yep, so thank you. So, I, I, it might be a fidget. Fidget! <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, it's, it's a bit of an, an each way bet that one, and I I kind of get uh, where they're um, coming from. I think, uh, especially when you're talking about comedy from almost thirty years ago, yeah, some of it is going to age well, and some of it uh, isn't. It's a big thing, especially especially with comedy. It's let's like, use a similar phrase. It's ephemeral. It's you know, it's it's, it's not always long lasting. This one here, this is a complete blanket. A product of its time. <laughs> That's yeah, it. Yeah, there we go. 
Yeah. This sort of thing, I think, is always going to, to come up about, you know, what stuff um, has fared well and what hasn't. Um, but, yeah, on the other hand, we could probably say that phrase a bit less. Yeah. If this was a drinking game, we would have no listeners left because they'd all be uh, dead from alcohol poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that comment. The, the only other point that I would make is that I, I find the, pra- the phrase and the concept of political correctness every bit as annoying as as the concept of a product of its time. So it kind of works both ways. Fully agree, Alison. Mm-hmm. I got to apologise as well. The video that I did release with it had a typo or well, two typos in it. In that, so oh, people no. called me up. Is that hang on? Who 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 were the pedants who did that? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Was it you? Pedantry. There we are. <laughs> <laughs> so I did write. Bat hat, not bad hat, uh, but I did uh, sing bad hat, but I made a typo with it. And Capricosa, I put an H in it, so it does not have an H. That's what happens you, when you. You, write you it. were just doing that on on purpose to catch pedants out, weren't you? Yeah. Pedantry. So that's done and dusted. So and other <laughs> feedback. Uh, and this is all positive now. So we have uh, Greg Nelly on Twitter saying, "Love you, pod guys. Thank you." Also on hey. YouTube, um, someone who I think was listening to the very first episode, the very awkward one, Manfred Junis <laughs> says, hell yeah. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's all good. Yeah. <laughs> also, we've got a last-minute entry for, as we're about to record this podcast, a quick little email. This is from Jeff Scott who says, G'day, I just thought I'd drop a line uh, of feedback on the podcast. I've been following the Facebook page for ages and only just got around to subscribing to the podcast. And he's listened to a few episodes back and forth um, and what he's actually been doing is skipping randomly but he's still getting the whole idea behind it. And it's nice to know that other people out there who still quote lines at their family and all that and he's telling us his age and because he remembers watching the D-Gen on ABC when he was about 12 or 13. Uh, he lives in Perth and so he never got any of the radio stuff but he does remember the Late Show starting originally advertised as D-Gen slash The Late Show in 1992 and he still watch, he watched it and quoted it, of course. Uh, his kids even know the odd line here and there. Whenever a batsman gets out in the cricket and visibly swearing while walking off, one of the kids will go... Rats or gee, I'm annoyed with myself. <laughs> uh, That's and, so much better than the alternative F word, I've got to say. Yeah. And <laughs> he said, I just heard this morning the episode with the feedback going on a bit too long. Yep, that's fine. We've already uh, covered that. He says that he can see what they mean, but he must admit that when he saw the episode lengths, uh, that he didn't hesitate for a second. But the good thing is that he's finding with the podcast that he can jump around and listen to it not necessarily in order kind of like the Marvel Universe really Uh, and bits and pieces here and there works just as well if you're into it so keep on talking shit as long as you like I say and then he (laughs) added a photo from 1996 of him wearing the Late Show t-shirt and having a bit of a fish so thank you very much Jeff just for Jeff we'll be doing a six hour podcast today so strap yourselves in guys (laughs) listen to it at your leisure so we'll get straight into uh Season 1, Episode 11 of The Late Show. But just before we get into it, Daniel, do you have anything program guide-wise? Yeah, Episode 11 is an interesting one because um, we've got a Victorian state election. The TV guide I use is uh, from Melbourne because uh, that's where The Late Show was filmed. There's still a fair amount of films along with it, but there's also a lot of state election updates and sort of coverage later on in the evening. Um, so this is a 
little bit more in-depth. So uh, on Channel 7 at 6.30, uh, they kicked off the night with The Adventures of Milo and Otis. Oh. <laughs> Classic. Uh, made, in, made in Japan with Dudley Moore as narrator, the escapades of this dog and cat team will keep the kids enthralled. Unless they know um, how it was made, then they'll be horrified. Well, <laughs> yeah, let, let, let's, let's just say you, you might not spot the phrase no animals were harmed in the end credits of that one, <laughs> apparently. All right, moving right along uh, at 8.05, they followed that up with uh, Willow. And in the, the, the listing from The Age, uh, Ross Warnicke puts in his uh, critiques of uh, what's in the listings. He says, surprisingly, this yarn about an abandoned baby with remarkable powers and a tribe of midgets, his word, protecting it from a wicked queen goes way over the heads of most kids uh, with Warwick Davis and Joanne Wally. And then at 10.45, state election coverage, Jennifer Kite hosts a wrap-up of results from today's poll. Then on Channel 9 at 6.30, Hey Hey had uh, uh, two singers, uh, Stephen Cummings um, from Australia and Curtis Steigers from America. Then at 8.30, we we had an hour of state election coverage hosted by John Jost and Laurie Oakes with guests Bob Hawke and John Elliott. That would have made for some interesting viewing, I think. Stereotypically, they would have been big drinkers. I don't know how much they would have been in 1992, <laughs> but if, if, they, if they were well refreshed, that would have been uh, made for great viewing. Then at 9.30, we've got a British comedy starring Griff Rhys-Jones and Mel Smith called Wilt. After a drunken party, Henry Wilt's wife disappears and the police suspect him of murder. Mm-hmm. So I've got no idea how that is, but considering it's got Smith and Jones in it, you probably couldn't go wrong um, if you weren't into the late show. Then on Channel 10, uh, Channel 10 don't seem to have any sort of proper state election coverage apart from maybe the odd update. Um, At 9 o'clock, they had the film Desperado Avalanche at Devil's Ridge. Uh, A roving cowboy framed for murder is offered freedom when he agrees to search for the beautiful abducted daughter of a powerful landlord. But... He discovers that she is not what she seems to be. Uh, starring Alex MacArthur, Rod Steiger, and Alice Adair. Ooh. Then on SBS, um, obviously being a national channel, no state election coverage at all, they had a 1943 black and white British drama called Millions Like Us. Essentially a film designed to lift the spirits of Britons during World War II, this account of family life on the home front revolves around the romance between daughter Celia, played by Patricia Rue, and an airman played by Gordon Jackson. Dated but worth considering, says Warnicke. Who do you think you are kidding, Mr Hitler, if you think they're <laughs> on the run? Come on, sing it with me. Come on. We are the boys. No, I'm not. I can't be <laughs> All right. And last of all, on the ABC, the ABC pretty much had wall-to-wall state election coverage from 6.30 until 10 o'clock. Uh, hosted by Mary Delahunty with Ian Henderson and Andrew Olley, um, along with analysis from ALP number cruncher Bob Hogg and the Liberals' Michael Kroger. Kroger. Um, and then after the late show, uh, because it was a Vietnam Memorial weekend, uh, they had a US drama called To Heal a Nation at 11 o'clock, uh, an affecting account of the campaign by Vietnam veteran Jan Scruggs to have a permanent memorial to the US's war dead built in Washington, starring Eric Roberts and Glynis O'Connor. And then, much more interestingly, at 12.15, we had Rage. Um, according to this, it was a special to do with Stairway to Heaven. Now, does anybody know what that might be in relation to? 
Oh, that's Rolf Harris singing the multiple versions of, well, no, singing one of the many versions of Stairway to Heaven on Andrew Denton's program. What was it called? The, the Money or the Gun. The Money or the Gun. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, each week a guest would perform their own version of the same song, which would usually tie in with the, the episode. And uh, it was released on video as well as a compilation CD, uh, which uh, the CD actually won Best Comedy Release Aria Award. Okay, so that's uh, what was on TV. Thank you, Daniel. All right, let's get into Season 1, Episode 11 of The Late Show after the Backchat special, which was the week before. Broadcast on Saturday, October 3rd, 1992. And we have the opening of Foreign Correspondent with George Nikas uh, going through what's coming up on, quote, Foreign Correspondent, the South Pacific. Idyllic paradise or political trouble spot. And the Mediterranean, especially the country that was that's shaped like a boot so and if you believe any of this stuff then you know would you find the late show even funny tonight after the yeah, second rendition of a uh, george negus opening which he says evening now daniel are you annoyed that he says evening again oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, slightly less annoyed perhaps okay. yeah, again that 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 was his shtick but i think he seems to be the only person i can think of on Aussie tv that starts uh, with just the word evening, it doesn't say good evening or hello or something like that. So after the opening titles, we have the opening remarks. And Tony is temporarily flying solo, saying, Welcome to the new Victoria under the rule of Jeff Kennett, who's going to be the butt of many jokes down the track. And uh, joined by guest host Joan Kerner, which is <laughs> Mick in... <laughs> In his everyday dress, really. <laughs> Pulling up. Classy style with a VB and a durry. I did appreciate the way he made no effort whatsoever to actually impersonate Joan Gurner. Yeah. yeah d- down to the fact that instead of wearing a nice blouse under that blue jacket, he's just got a white singlet. <laughs> Which is great. Uh, he, he, comes on, he comes on to so many wolf whistles from the audience. Like he looks good oh, in the dress. Yeah. I've got to say, he yeah, loved every minute he does. Just to roll back slightly to the credits, this this show, like it's it started off with the most enormous cheers for the start of the program. Probably the biggest cheers we've heard from the studio audience, like for the whole series. And did you notice that when they they got to the bit in the title sequence with Mick, there were there were even more massive cheers because. You know, obviously they just were in love with Mick. And and he, he Mick was kind of the breakout star that I remember people were talking about at the time, Partic- particularly a lot of women seemed to really fancy Mick, oh, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, people at my school fancied. I wasn't one of them. I was oh, a yeah. Monsanto girl. But, uh, yeah, people <laughs> kind of like that kind of scruffy, slightly, you know, a- attractive um, guy that was bad boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, bad boy. yeah, bad boy. That's right. Mm, and yeah. I, I like Sergeant. He was more of a, a goody two shoes, wasn't he? <laughs> I think. I think if we if we're talking about a favourite uh, DJ cast member, I think I, I gravitated more towards Tony, just with that, with that mm. sort of the the, the nerdishness and I, the, the um, geekery. Yeah, I related mm. at the time. I related to Santo more because I just thought that he was just. He reeked of the uber coolness and just being very level-headed. Well, that form, the Late Show format is really sort of designed for people to get their personalities out there. And if you're somebody like Mick who's kind of got that off-the-cuff charm, you're really going to stand out because you've got plenty of opportunity to, you know, wink at the camera or sort of smirk away. And 
people love that sort of thing. Mm, do you think the audience maybe got a sneak peek of him uh, dressed as Joan and that's why they gave an extra cheer? Well, it seemed like he, was out the, he was out the back somewhere, mm. so they may have kept him under wraps. Yeah. It's quite an entrance, though, coming in in the car. Yes. Because this is episode 11, I, I'd say that by episode 9, 10, they've found their feet and the mm. cult following has developed more, kind of like, you know, the early days of The Chaser. You know, it's like, oh, it's there, you should get onto it, blah, blah, blah. And the next thing you know, they get starting to get really, really big and the publicity starts getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. They've really tried now, haven't they? You know, that not only do people know they're out there, but they're actually really good by this point. They they totally get the format now and they're, they're really on fire. This episode yeah. is just a really, really strong one, I think. And even back then, it was really rare for a, Australian television shows to improve in a way. Like usually mm-hmm. they would come on and they would be consistent or they would be rubbish and get chucked out. But to have something come on and then actually get better every week. So when you told your friends you want to watch this and then they would come back to you and say, that was really good rather than what's wrong with you, that was rubbish. <laughs> Even then that was really rare. Well, it's, it's especially rare nowadays where, you know, it seems like some shows may live or die based on social media and, you know, may not be back, you know, from week to week. Thankfully, The Late Show had at least 10 weeks to hit its stride, you know, whereas, you know, something like, um, I'm thinking of that to Ben Elton show, which only lasted three weeks. Mm-hmm. And like he and he, he, he flat out blames it on social media, which I think may have been a, a part of it. But it certainly wasn't the whole thing. But well, I think yeah. Back then, they definitely you definitely had corners of television where you could keep a low profile and sort of figure out what you were doing. But on the other hand, I mean, even watching these early episodes again, which I hadn't seen for a long time, they're still strong stuff. It's not compared to Ben Elton's show, which I remember at the time being not very good. The Late Show pretty much mm-hmm. rolls up. You can, you know, 30 years ago, you could get somebody, you could watch episode three and tell them to watch episode four and you wouldn't be embarrassed. Whereas Ben Elton's live from planet Earth, yeah, you were you were not coming out looking good talking that up. No, no, no. Not at any time. Late <laughs> <laughs> show reference. I really like this, Joan Kerner. And, and at the time, I probably wasn't really aware of Joan Kerner being from Sydney um, and I was only, you know, 15 at the time. And that was all I knew. Mick's impression of Joan was pretty much what I thought Joan, Joan was like. <laughs> but I just love the way that he just goes, oh, quite frankly, we got our ass kicked. And, oh, yeah, I voted for him, actually. Good luck. Enjoy. <laughs> Classic lines there. Kerner had a chick magnet of a cabinet because of David White, mm. Tom Roper, <laughs> Peter Spiker. <laughs> you know, they're Four. all... Yeah. <laughs> Pure beefcake. 100% beefcake. Forget, forget Mick Malloy. Forget lusting after Mick Malloy. The Kerner cabinet. Whoa. <laughs> She's a, yeah, her own personal Chippendales. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like uh, the thing also where, where Tony says to, to Mick slash Joan, um, what do you think of the late show, Joan? He says, oh, it's a bit undergraduate. So, you know, it's a wannacky moment. Yeah. Every so often they, they hammer that undergraduate thing into the ground. <laughs> It's obviously a bit of a bugbear of theirs. The other thing I like um, uh, that it actually happens just before uh, Mick comes out as Joan is uh, Tony says to the audience, "We're under the rule of Jeffrey Kennett, and doesn't it feel good?" Which prompts a loud booing 
as, as far as I can tell, and, and unprompted booing from the audience. Like Tony, Tony always seems to joke about the quote spontaneous unquote applause uh, uh, at the, the beginnings of the episodes. But yeah, it seems like that. I I don't think that booing was rehearsed. Yeah, that was a real reaction. Yeah. I oh, know Je- Jeff Kennett was not. I mean, I was of a, a voting age when this episode aired, and the, Victoria was in the toilet, but nobody sensible was thinking Jeff Kennett was going to be anything more than what he turned out to be. It was just they were sick of the alternatives. He he wasn't a popular man amongst late show viewers put it that way yeah basically basically victoria wasn't voting for um jeff kennett they were voting for not joan kerner yeah (laughs) i would put on the whiteboard that this is the first mention of billy ray cyrus coming into our lives yeah with uh, Mm -hmm. with kerner it's quite mick uh he's going to stay around for a rendition of achy breaky heart there's a little (laughs) blip on the radar for any future billy ray cyrus jokes well, also, is, is it a bit of a foreshadowing for the musical mix-up segments in 1993? Yeah. Handing, handing, yeah. Uh, Mick, yeah. handing Mick as Jonah a guitar. Ooh, never thought of that one. Watch this space. Yes. Except it was one of her hot men from the cabinet who had the guitar, wasn't it? <laughs> David <Roy>. Yes. <laughs> well, we'll get into News Desk with Tommy G, and let's just rattle these off. So a lot of these came with a lot of footage, so more visual jokes than anything else. Venice calls off its plans to stage its first Grand Prix, footage of cars in the flood. George Bush shows off wife Barbara's brand new facelift, and it's got George Bush coming off a plane with a redhead woman, totally different. I don't know who it was, but I'm sure that, yeah. Was that one of the women he was allegedly banging? Possibly. So uh, Australian supermarkets introduced radical new price checkout technology. And this one's on the best bits where it has Jane as the checkout person <laughs> reading out the prices as it went over the scanner. I can't believe that was 1992. Wow. Well, that was just yeah. the, the scanners that the supermarket used, not the self-readout ones that came in a few years ago now. It's like I couldn't remember how they used to do it before the scanners, to be honest. They, they had labels on, on the products and they would have to type in the price into the into the cash register. That's how they did it. Did they? Wow. Old school. I must have lived in the future when I was a kid. Wow. <laughs> I lived in Adelaide and that's how they did it in the oh, okay. <laughs> a woman. It was normally a woman punching in the, the number on the price. Wow. Wow. Okay. Keating makes a frank admission during uh, a visit to the underwear factory and it has a soundbite of Keating saying that he's wearing uh, the whole profundies and they show a visual of uh, some ugly boxes that look like Ken Doan type thing. Uh, yeah, that joke really fell flat, but uh, nonetheless, funny. Just just, just, quick, just quickly, do, do you believe Keating uh, when he says that uh, he's wearing the whole profundies when he's visiting the uh, the whole profundies factory? No, he he would have had underwear by Xenia or something. <laughs> it's either that, or um, he he might have been wearing them just for that day, just to not tell a lie. All the other days, I, I picture him as the silk boxes man. I think I'm sure he got changed well, in the car as soon as he left the factory. <laughs> <laughs> But it was a busy week for John Hewson, uh, and on Tuesday he went sailing, and it shows footage of him capsizing. And on Wednesday uh, he went for a ride in an Australian car. So that was a <laughs> bit of a uh, reference from a few episodes ago where he made a partial racial reference to Japanese people. 
Of course, if, if you're going to show that footage of uh, Houston getting into a, a car, the next thing you're going to see is a crash. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, his driver being Peter Brock, who was a Labor supporter. <laughs> so, yeah. Defence Minister Robert Ray arrives in Tokyo and offering to let Japanese troops train in Australia. Now, the RSL were outraged and believed the Japanese should stay where they belong on the Gold Coast. Yeah, boom, tish. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm missing. I'm thinking there's something really bare. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a bit of a delayed reaction from me. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, and and yeah, thankfully, thankfully that joke's okay because um, yeah, it's it's Tom putting down the RSL rather than anyone else. Yeah. In TV news, Nolene Donner from Sylvania Waters to receive apology from Deputy PM Brian Howe after making comments on her health and lifestyle. It's just a matter of time to make her an apology when she's not at the TAB, the pub, the pokies, blah blah blah. Well, there is reference to this a little further on in the show, but I, I might as well bring out the old Sylvania Waters diary um, for this episode. Um, so, yes, the, the whole thing was about uh, Deputy PM Brian Howe calling her um, an alcoholic. Uh, the papers reported him as saying that my, this is her Matt diary. The papers reported him as saying that my drinking, smoking, betting and eating habits were a result of my social class and that, quote, people from disadvantaged backgrounds were generally worse off health-wise. So apparently mm. he did later fax a standard letter of apology, which he um, lists in this uh, book here. It's a very basic, uh, basic uh, standard Letter of apology. It says, Dear Nolene, I am sorry that you were offended by my remarks about you at the Public Health Association of Australia conference on Monday. My intention was to use the program in which you featured as a means of making a general point about the relationship between social background and the health of groups of people in Australia. I deeply regret any offence to you and apologise unreservedly. So she also has a, a letter that she never actually wrote back to him, but she, she basically writes a letter that she wishes she was able to send to him at the time, just saying, to Mr. Brown, to Mr. Brian Howe, it is only because I was brought up to show respect to my elders that I say Mr. And then she just goes on about um, how she feels really embarrassed about um, his comments, etc. cetera. Um, apparently this was where the tide turned, in her favour, according to um, this diary. Apparently a lot of people realised that um, she was being treated unfairly. And she says that uh, she received hundreds of letters of support after this. And she also uh, includes an article from uh, one of the newspapers, probably the Sunday, the Daily Telegraph Mirror, about how Dame Edna is a huge fan of Nolene. Um, and apparently it's um, Dame Edna says, well, actually Barry Humphreys says, that she might even become a character in Sylvania Waters who visits and gives glamour tips to Nolene. That's Dame Edna. So can you imagine Dame Edna visiting Nolene? That's her book. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I would have thought Barry McKenzie will be more appropriate to turn up. Yeah, I I imagine Barry McKenzie some kind of cousin of, of Nolene and, and Laurie. But um, <laughs> I always find it quite interesting, like watching the Late Show and 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 how they're talking, they're framing Sylvania Waters, and and the implication seems to be that the Sylvania Waters family are, are like not very well off or something. And I'm thinking, hang on, mm. they they live next to they, they've got a waterside double story property, they've got a boat. You know, they're richer than I was when I was growing up. My family was, you know, I don't, I don't understand this idea that they're like poor or, or like something. I mean, it, it, was, 
their roots yeah. are supposedly working class and and uh, Barry Humphreys just mentions that uh yeah that that because people the tide turned against um the tide turned in favor of Sylvania waters because uh because of those comments um that that apparently they they did start off as this working class uh family that kind of came good and and became rich that way and then because um these comments were supposedly a bit disparaging and and um not very complimentary towards her and they shouldn't be for for being a labor because he's from the labor party um they were basically mm-hmm. saying that um it's something that would be out of character so yeah that's that's what this Sylvania Di- Waters diary just explains her side of the story so it is obviously very Nolene oriented um, but she says that the tide turned in her favour towards the end and that's probably what led to the no regrets oh yes <laughs> yeah. in the later episode of the late show I'm just wondering if, if it was a standard letter of apology did it just have like a gap where he wrote in her name with a gap <laughs> you know, what day it yeah. was He's just got a stack of them by his desk. And I'm like, sorry right for it. Uh, yeah. like slagging you off. <laughs> <laughs> there was more Donaher chat with uh, Laurie and Mick competing in the Bathurst 1000, and uh, they showed footage of the last practice session that they had, which was just a race car with dubbed audio. Shut up and knock the top of another cranny. I can't. There's none left. No way. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> And so talks resume with F.W. de Klerk, you know what the F.W. stands for, and Nelson Mandela. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the footage of a friendly handshake followed by a close-up of Mandela's name tag showing his prison number. Pissy. mm, Pissy. Yeah. (laughs) Can we all climb the pedantry together? Oh, I'd like that one. Pedantry. Okay, so yeah, there's a, the, the in the cutaway where they show the prisoner number on the name tag of Nelson Mandela, they put the number CR five one double seven three. I decided to actually look this up. Uh, it turns out <laughs> Nelson Mandela had five prisoner numbers, none of which were the one that was in the late show. The longest he had for eighteen years, and the most famous one he had was four. Um, well, it, everybody seems to know it as four triple six four, but it was actually. 466-64, which stands for the 466th prisoner in the year 1964. So, yeah. Wow. Um, good good fact Sorry to be there. a pedant there. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. You can, you can climb that anytime you want. The next story, the hole in the ozone layer is growing rapidly with a high risk of skin cancer and a risk of Dean Jones wearing those ridiculous sunglasses. Who's Dean Jones? Cricket. He was a cricketer. A cricketer who... Recently, recently I found, I have to say, of, of, the, of the things that Dean Jones was wearing, the thing I found more offensive was the zinc lips. Do you remember mm. people putting like yeah. zinc cream yeah. on, on various parts of their face? Oh, yeah. I don't know if it was effective or not. It was like a trend at the time. Yeah, it, I had fluorescent zinc cream when yeah. I was a oh, child. Dark. Yeah, some yeah. kind yeah. of yeah. green. I wasn't really protecting myself. I was just painting my face. Mm. Yeah, just, you end up getting sunburnt with all these weird patches all over your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could do that. It was a summertime hobby for eight-year-olds. It was great. So we have the New South Wales police discover the biggest cocaine haul of worth $70 million, and the sniffer dog gets into it before the police do, which is a classic visual joke, So, uh, which is on the 
That good, it's on the best bits. I like that. I, I assume it's icing sugar or something they're getting the dog to eat, but it, it's good. And I like Tommy G's line afterwards, which is, you know, he'll be back just as he's, as soon as he's finished chasing space shuttles. <laughs> yeah, It brought one of the biggest laughs. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, according to the DVD commentary, that's Jane's dog, Jesse. And uh, you're right, uh, Alison, it is cast of sugar. Uh, so that's on uh, Best Bits Volume 1, Chapter 5 on the DVD. The announcement of cricket legend Imran Khan retiring. And you have Rob as Imran Khan. And this is one of the most iconic impressions, of course. Imran, made Imran, love to her like a tiger. Imran, Imran. Like a tiger. Imran, we don't like want to talk about... Like a tiger. Shut up, you packy bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to say stuff like that, especially to a future prime minister of Pakistan as well. Uh, yeah. I, I met him once um, and I sent you all a private email earlier and that was at the Radio Industry Awards in 2008. And when I had found out that Imran was going to be there, first of all, I discovered how many late show D-Gen fans there were in the industry because they're all going, <laughs> we, we just constantly said, like a tiger, like a tiger. And they were all, they were, they were all, they were all doing the tiger claws yeah. at him and he must have been looking so bewildered. 100%. Or if you see the photo, you can see the big smile on his face. <laughs> so uh, when I got it done... And was that before or after he made love to you like a tiger, man? <laughs> so, uh, but I was nervous to get the photo, and uh, and one of my coworkers was like, "Go, go, on, go, on, go, and do it." So eventually, you know, after waiting, you know, in line of about five people in front, including Hamish and Andy and all that. Sorry for the name drop, but the uh, <laughs> when we got there, I've gone. I'm going to say, it, I'm going to say, like a tiger. We got there. And then I say, "Hi, Imran. Kick it. I get a photo." (laughs) (laughs) So I think that would have been very beneficial to your radio career for not saying like it's over to Imran Khan. Yeah, and Mm. because at the last second I realised he's not going to get that, and I'm sure that a lot of people have been saying it. And yeah, not not the right time, not the right place, just not right at all. So got the photo, and then went and went. Damn it. <laughs> but, I should have said it. Yeah, but I told other people I did say it, and because I wanted, I wanted to see if they did. <laughs> but I chickened out. I was just privileged to get the photo with him. You both look, look very respectable. You're, you're both in nice uh, suit and tie. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you can see the look on his face. It's like, oh god, another photo. <laughs> it's, very, it's very politician-like. Yeah. Well, That's there. the worst yeah. you get with well, a photo with a celebrity. You're doing pretty well, I think. Yeah. There is a line where um, he says Jane is a beautiful woman and so we've, we can tick off another, yeah. another, <laughs> another in the, the Jane is a beautiful woman column on the whiteboard. Prue will be happy with oh, that. The, 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 other, the other thing to note, I, I don't know if you noticed, but the thing that the show cuts to straight after the interview is Jane posing in pyjamas from a couple of episodes ago uh, doing the um, Queen of the Catalogues. Oh, yeah, Bronwyn. Uh, which I don't know whether that was planned, but, yeah, uh, having that come right after, I'd love to make love to her like a tiger. <laughs> In those pajamas. Yeah, exactly. 
The next sketch is, ah, it's, it's Santo's time to shine. And we have, they play Papa Luigi Pizza, which has all the stereotypical Italian cliches. And then it leads into Santo singing, you know, things Wogs would never do. Did everyone just sing this Papa Luigi jingle? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so catchy. The, the lyrics without having to watch the, um, uh, without having to transcribe them from the DVD. You know, the Leaning Tower and... Uh, I'm a big uh, Italian mama. I'm a fat and jolly chef. Properly, bore you all to death. And then, of course, the, the amazing punchline, and it's made in New South Wales. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is on uh, Best Bits Volume, is, uh, volume 1 as well, uh, Chapter 6. Um, and according to the DVD commentary, this was filmed in Rob's mum's kitchen. And uh, apparently uh, the guy p- playing Papa Luigi um, couldn't remember his lines, so it took uh, much longer than expected, like about 25 takes, uh, Jason reckoned. As it leads into things Wogs would never do, I'll throw to Santo, who was on the party show not long after in 1992, where he has been put on the spot to quote the song. Can you sing a bit of it? How does it go? I don't like curry and I don't like jam. I don't drink cider and I don't eat spam. I've never tasted Vegemite, tin spaghetti or Activite. I don't go camping in a combi, combi van. I've got heaps of uncles but none called Stan. It's beautiful stuff, though. I don't play golf. My father never played no golf when I was young. I hated Rolf. That's Longfellow. <laughs> <laughs> That's three triple the party show from 1992. It's a wonderful subversion of the, the usual stereotypes that happen with any... Um, sort of group, you know, like right, yeah, right, rather than talking about, you know, yeah, being fat and having moustaches and piano accordions and the mafia, it's it's just more about yeah, sticking it to, to essentially everybody else. And like I said, yeah, th- this is essentially it's not just things logs don't do, but it's stuff that white people do, really. Mm-hmm. And blows. Yeah. He's very yeah. much ahead of the curve in not liking Rolf. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My partner's uh, Greek, so he when he watched this for the first time um, the other day, he was taking all of his, yep, I've never had porridge, no combi van, nope, no uncle's called Stan, yep, father never played golf, yep, didn't even know barely who Rolf was, nope. He did do skateboarding, though. I guess he's, he was in a unit, so he's he, devoid of grass, I suppose, technically. <laughs> there was no grass there. So, yeah, pretty much ticked all the boxes for him too. That's great. And uh, I guess it's a classic immigrant experience. In a lot of ways, you could you could apply this to any any immigrant group, I suppose. I also like the, that last line at the end. Oh, we also don't like watching Channel 2. <laughs> I just I, I love I love that he calls it Channel 2 because I just it's, – yeah. it's such a, a, a great name. The next segment. The Olden Days, episode 11, and I Feel a Front Bottom Coming On, which is uh, reminiscent to the old I Feel a 4X Coming On jingles. After an appalling uh, beverage making in the mudfields, Front Bottom buys into Cat's Piss. I I mean, RC Cola. Sorry. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, he relabels it to Front Bottom Cola. Now, this is where he goes to try and advertise Front Bottom Cola. Which is inspired by the original, and this is where the tease came in. You know when it's right, you know when you feel it, baby. You hold it, you hear it, you taste it, it's right. You got the right one, baby. 
Ray Charles singing Die Pepsi or Front Bottom Caller. Imagine that. You... <laughs> and Ray Charles is, is possibly a good candidate for uh, yeah promoting something that you can taste um, and, yeah, possibly can't see. Certainly a, a, a better spokesperson than... Um, Ray Charles did these ads in the mid-'80s for laser discs. Ooh. Basically promoting how good they sound. Look, look it up on YouTube. It's so weird. Honestly, when they, they did this parody, I, the only way I remember the Ray Charles ad is because there's a, a parody of it in a video clip for a suicidal tendency song. And clearly, <laughs> oh, I've been listening to suicidal tendencies in the last 30 years than thinking about Ray Charles because that was the thing I thought of. I thought, oh, yeah, from that video clip. Oh, wait, the video clip was from an actual ad. So. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm glad that I sold that for you, that it was all about Ray Charles. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> well, I, I just like at the end the um, the rebranding of, of Front Bottom Cola into Front Bottom Passiona and and the the recipe is derived by basically a bloke pissing in it. So pissy owner. <laughs> if you look at the original footage, it actually does look like the guy's, you know, sort of zipping down his fly and, and kind of, you know, there's that slight lift <laughs> that men do. Um, <laughs> anyway, so so I thought that was pretty clever. <laughs> well, they clearly that wasn't the actual plot of Rush, but but anyway, well done for Tony Martin. I see for spotting the potential in that footage. Yeah. <laughs> If you watch this episode on the, the Olden Days and Barge Ass DVD with the subtitles on, um, yeah, alongside here's to Pissiona is the uh, the phrase vigorous slapping. Vigorous. <laughs> which it's just, which, uh, and again, it is, because because you can watch it on the DVD without the audience uh, response to it, yeah, that's it's quite a noise in the, in the headphones, I've got to say. <laughs> this episode is also the one they mention on the DVD commentary that cost Tony Martin $3,000 of his own money. The episode featured Olivia Hammond in the role um, on the olden days uh, as Caroline Chisholm, apparently. Olivia actually objected to being included and wanted to be out of the rest of the series, but Tony really liked the uh, joke of uh, Governor Bottom behaving like a chicken, essentially, uh, which just just happened to have uh, Olivia in that same scene. So, yeah, Tony cut a check of $3,000 of his own money in order to include Caroline Chisholm just for that little bit. Worth every cent. And that's $3,000 in $1992 as well. So, oh, wow. yeah. What could you buy in, in 992? Could you buy a car with $3,000? You could buy a house with that. No, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody care how uh, the name of the drink is pronounced? Because uh, we, we had this controversy uh, or controversy recently about how to pronounce P-A-S-S-I-O-N-A. Pisciona. Is it, is it, well, is it, well, is it, is it Passiona or is it Passiona? It's Passiona. We had this, this controversy um, pop up uh, back in October. Pedantry. <laughs> is, is that the 25th time that we've heard my voice say pedantry now? Pedantry. 26th. Yeah, 26th. Yeah. <laughs> no more. No, no, no more. <laughs> We, uh, we need, a, we need a, a sting amnesty, I think. The next segment is muckraking, and you have Mick and Jace on the couch, uh, and they're telling. Uh, oh, Jace is just simply going through a newspaper, you know, saying, "Oh, you, about the story about the twelve-year-old boy in America trying to divorce his parents." 
the same thing is happening in Australia, but the parents are trying to divorce a the little fat kid from Hey Dad. So there's another one for the whiteboard. If you care about the story that uh, that joke was based on, you can just look up you can look up the name uh, Gregory Kingsley. As far as I can tell, the decision might have been appealed. I, I don't want to bore you. <laughs> Fair enough. This muckraking is putting the spotlight on Maury Fields, or mainly his character, uh, having a heart attack in The Flying Doctors, which you can buy on Crawford's website. Uh, give me money. All right. Uh, so, um, and Mick and Jace claim that Maury is as fit as a fiddle, so they send him a hamper, which has pizza, cheeseburgers, a slab of VB, and a box of Winnie Blues. His drip was even a VB. But, yeah, amazing prop, that one. Yeah. I only wish it was functional. <laughs> but just to prove that he's still going pretty well, they actually crossed to him um, with Maury uh, from the hospital, which is Tony. And, you know, everything is, oh, I'm as fit as a blah, 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 and all those, you know, sayings, catchphrases. But my favourite is, you bloody mongrels! <laughs> <laughs> this is so much fun because, you know, it's it's all the stuff that Maury would kind of wheel out on the great Australian joke on Hey Hey It's Saturday, <laughs> all, all those kind of, you know, Aussie, supposedly Aussie phrases that, you know, mm. outback outback slang and, and so forth. So I think I think Tony captures it really well, even if the voice isn't quite right. Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, I've also got to say, this interview, it's very similar to the one that they did with uh, Tony as Doug Mulray uh, yes. back in episode eight, where it's just, <laughs> it's just this laundry list of sayings and idioms. And the Doug Mulray one was all these questions like, is a cat walking backwards scary? Whereas this one, it's all, it's all analogies. As funny as a fart in a space suit. Um, if, it was raining, if it was raining pea soup, I'd only have a fork. You know, I'm, I'm, as, I'm as dry as a kookaburra's kyber in the Simpson Desert, as dry as a nun's... <laughs> now we have to sketch the double globe trotters. B is for dazzling, B is for brilliant, and P is for pissy. This is one of the best sketches, which I'm so sad that it didn't make it to any of the best bits. Yeah, I really like this. Yeah, especially when Mick goes and throws the basketball <laughs> against the... <laughs> That's how I used to play in, in school. I, I just could not take a shot. I reckon there must have been a few kids in the audience that had been bullied a bit at school because the bit where he's drinking from the tap, everyone just like, because they all know getting hit in the back of the head while you're drinking from the tap is not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely a sketch for people like myself who were always picked last... Um, in PE, it's some of the worst basketball playing and, and attempts to do basketball tricks that are possible. And and I like the fact that towards the end, Santo just kind of gives up and just puts the ball under his shirt so it looks like he's pregnant. And, and, and because he's Santo, he does this in this brilliantly cheeky way, which is both charming and very funny. And, and other other than that, you know, there's no joke really required. You just show Tony Martin in a pair of shorts and you just see those incredibly <laughs> legs. And that that's funny on its own. That and Tom Gleisner in shorts as well is pretty funny. The bit where Tony was doing that, where you bounce the basketball, but you don't hit it quite hard enough. So your hand gets closer and closer <laughs> to the ground. Like, yeah. I spent most of my high school basketball just doing that where you're sort of patting the yeah. ball gently and then just walk away. I also like the um, the the newspaper quotes towards the end. So you've got the Adelaide Advertiser, 
when it comes to non-stop basketball action, these guys barely get started. And then the Sydney Morning Herald, the Dubbo Globetrotters are about as entertaining as sitting at home and watching a blank video. And then, because these things always happen in threes, uh, the last one is from The Truth. Basketball has shocked fans with lesbian nude romp. <laughs> um, I don't think I would put Dubbo Globetrotters in a nude romp, just putting that out there. Where's their Netflix documentary? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. yes, the, la- the Last Dance yeah. style, yeah. The next sketch is the very, very, very famous Wildman sketch, the whole yeah. bit. So I only picked a couple of things from it because this one goes on for a, a while. Uh, but in an ever-changing world, what does it mean to be a real man? You know, you could always try and hug a truck driver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I like that bit. That was sweet. Yeah. People who are part of it, gathering of men who really go out camping. There's corporate lawyers, businessmen, ex-cons who skip parole. <laughs> yeah. That was that was the, the leader of the group, though. <laughs> yeah. And and a, and a paid actor that the leader hired because uh, there's apparently a film crew coming along. Yeah. yeah. I like the way of the bit of that where they have, uh, where Jace like breaks down and he says, no, no, it's too soon. But then they never get to a point where he can legitimately break down. They just kind of move on. Did you like Tony's character though? He, he owned a warehouse and his prices were crazy. <laughs> and uh, as they're going through all their confessions, well, they love steel magnolias, and the other one enjoys watching women's tennis. And they, they all seem oh. to like modern dance and fine crockery. And someone confessed to drinking out of someone else's coffee mug. <laughs> Ooh. I like the bit um, at the end where they all kind of dance, you know, ritually around the fire, except Mick Malloy kind of does this weird kind of sideways <laughs> sort of dance. Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't describe it in words, but, but it, is, it is just so funny. It's a, it's a lovely sort of wiggle of the hips. Well, what I find, I mean, this, I don't know if they still have this kind of stuff now because I know they have, they still have kind of men's groups where men get in touch with themselves now, but they all seem to be based around kind of, you know, misogyny and, and stuff. Whereas back in the, trying, trying to date women and just screw them over or whatever, they, they seem to be quite, quite negative groups. But back in the 90s, you know, and, and the 80s, they, men were trying to sort of in this kind of post 60s, 70s ways, trying to kind of get in touch with their feelings, you know, and sort of liberate themselves in the way that women had in previous decades. And, you know, this, there was this real kind of attempt to sort of break through masculinity and, and, you know, get men to kind of get in touch with their feelings and stuff, which I don't think men can be bothered with anymore. No. But, um, yeah. Well, I don't know the name of the guy who wrote it, but it was Iron John or something. There was a guy who wrote a book back then and it was a huge hit. And it was, yeah, men need to, you know, get in touch with nature, deal with their feelings about their fathers, go out and, you know, be amongst other men to learn to communicate. And it was a real thing through the 80s and, and as Alison said, in the 90s, it was this sort of, you know, men's retreat. They would go off to the bush. And, yeah, now people would look at you like you were crazy if you were going to hang out with a bunch of guys and hug a few trees. I just wanted to point out, uh, according to the DVD commentary, uh, this was filmed at Jason's parents' property near uh-huh. Gisborne. Um, and you can you can tell that this is pretty much a, this is a homemade effort, um, considering it stars only Rob, Tony, Jason, Mick and Tom. Um, it would have been out of place for this sort of sketch for Jane to be in it, so she serves as narrator. And uh, where's Santo? He's probably behind the camera. 
the mm. JVC camera from Australia's Funniest Home Videos. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, wasn't this one of the sketches that they made before they actually started doing the Late Show? They Apparently they went away for a week sort of to this property in Gisborne and they sort of planned out what they would do with the show and I think they shot a couple of things while they were there, including this particular sketch. In the, the DVD commentary, they called it Comedy Camp. Yeah, Comedy so Camp. I, like, I, can't, I, I can't think of any other sketches which would have come from this comedy camp but yeah certainly they they used it as a chance to get away and um mm. yeah just just come up with um sketch ideas well the next bit is it's a live sketch and now this is probably <laughs> the best ever like this did only like about five seconds of it made it to the best bits but yeah. this is I, I guess this will be classified as champagne sketch comedy so this is reminiscent oh, yeah. Yeah, well, it starts off with Tony uh, introduces the crowd saying, you know, well, introduces the camera saying that they get letters of complaints like uh, from Mrs. Scumbag. Uh, <laughs> age, Mrs. Evagny uh, Scumbag. Yeah, yeah Mrs. Evagny Scumbag of uh, age 372 of Toowoomba uh, <laughs> writes to them from beyond the grave demanding old school sketches like the Graham Kennedy era. The golden days of Gra Gra Bert and Attila the Hun. Yeah. <laughs> so this prompts them to get together and do some old school shenanigans really this is where they go back to thebes 25 bc and like just as an example of where they i guess this is where they were inspired from the old degeneration satanic sketches and radio serials. Here's a sample. It is the year 15 BC. Two centurions are making their way home. Hear that, Demestos? It is the year 15 BC. So? Another 15 years and we'll know what BC stands for. You, centurion. <laughs> That'll be the captain. What's happened? He's been recast. I have a letter for you, Demetrius, from Lavinia, your hauntingly beautiful wife. Give it here. You're holding it upside down, Demetrius. Oh, yes. Dear Demetrius, I've got something to tell you which isn't easy. Around the ragged rocks, the rugged rascal ran. She's a fine woman. <laughs> Hang on, I think there's more. P.S. I've been kidnapped by the evil emperor. Meanwhile, at the imperial palace, home of the evil emperor who ruled Rome with an iron fist. You'll never get away with this, you fiend. You're mad. What do you call madness? I call insanity. <laughs> now, that, uh, they pretty much bring that to life on stage. Even even with some of the same names like, uh, yeah, Queen Demestos and the beautifully haunting Lavinia. Yep, which is this bit here. No, let us not go to the inn for the hauntingly beautiful Lavinia. Ah, the hauntingly beautiful Lavinia. That fair maiden of royal descent whom you wish to marry, if only you can prove to her headstrong father, Emperor Thanatos, that you are not merely a simple shepherd, but in fact the son of King Euclides. Who? <laughs> King who? King... Oh, no! King Emperor Coriandus of... <laughs> I got my kings and emperors mixed up. To put it in context as well, it's uh, Rob and Santo playing Romans. <laughs> and while Rob has English speaking, uh, Santo, well, his character can't speak a word of English. So 
he's doing the lip reading type thing and Tony's doing the voiceover for him, the badly dubbed voiceover. Santo doesn't have to learn any lines whatsoever and Rob has to say everything and completely fuck it up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Santo's feeding the lines to him a couple of points in the sketch, isn't he? Yeah, yeah don't, don't they look good in those, uh, those outfits? <laughs> oh, God, the legs again, the legs. Well, there's a little bit uh, later on where it's, oh, I think the front row of the audience knows why you are called Chesapeake's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he very subtly sort of pulls it down. Yeah. And, and he doesn't cover up much more than was already exposed, unfortunately. And yeah, that's the, that's the only bit of the, this sketch, the, 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 the Chesapeake's ad lib, um, that makes it to the best bits volume two. I've actually got clips from this scene in this because I just think it's so brilliant to share just a feel half of it feels so scripted and then half of it just feels totally improv or the fact that it sounds improv but as you go along you realize it's scripted like this scene who's the uh, who is the hornbag by his side (laughs) I think that she is the mysterious queen domestos who has not who has not one line in this entire scene. That's not true. Have you two finished your thinly disguised secret dialogue yet? What's it to you, dickhead? <laughs> How dare you call me that? I, he didn't call you that earlier on today, but he is tonight. He did. How dare you call me that? It's not me, it's the guy who does my voiceovers. Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> Positive? Yeah. All right, in that case, bring forth the voiceover man. <laughs> a lot of you prepare to die that's where that, yeah. <laughs> Tony ends up being dragged out <laughs> and uh, Tom who plays the emperor you know they have their fight with their long pipe of PVC it's just a beautiful train wreck it's good isn't it yeah in the radio version that you played earlier um, Tom was doing the emperor and he had this weird kind of high pitched version of that voice which he doesn't quite do in the late show which is a bit disappointing but i really enjoy the radio version of that it's the voice is just ridiculous but there's one more bit which i do want to play because i remember watching this on tv and cacking myself laughing at this one word which rob describes demetrius come closer my dear friend i fear i am dying so it's a sketch so hurry up (laughs) i have one final thing to say and I pray that that is a vault error. Listen carefully to the words of a dying man. Yes, but before you do, I think the front row of the audience is working out why you are called... <laughs> Testicles! Yes. Enough of the... There is, there is no mystery in your naming now. Yes, that's enough ad-libbing, please. <laughs> I just love the term ball terror. Yeah. <laughs> so distinctively Aussie. It's interesting that they don't seem to do that many of these live sketches. You know, it feels like they, they don't, maybe they're just, you know, as much as the audience enjoy them, they're just too difficult to do. But um, it's kind of a shame that they don't do more of these, I think. It really did feel watching it that it was, and part of the appeal is that it's a hair's breadth from going off the rails entirely. But I have to mm. imagine that if you're putting together a live television show and you've got, you know, seven minutes that requires that level of, you know, preparation and performance, and if it goes wrong, you're stuck. I can imagine that they would be looking for other ways to fill those seven minutes in future episodes. It is a fantastic filler. So I can't keep praising this sketch enough, like the live sketch. It's 
one of my favourites. Well, it did sort of feel as well that that was kind of a throwback to the older D-Gen sort of stuff where they did that a bit more, a lot more sort of sillier stuff. And then I guess afterwards with their radio work, but but they really, across the course of the Late Show, they felt like they moved away a bit from this very sort of trad sketch silliness where, you know, they're cracking up and corpsing at every second line and so on. Hey, guess what? It's time for... The Spaz Family. Yay! <laughs> the Spaz Family update. And Raylene announces her engagement to a trombonist, uh, prompting Bez to make clear his views on mixed marriages. More tension, heartbreak, <laughs> and non-stop polka music on The Spaz Family. <laughs> Next part is... And, and guess what? It's uh, referring back to the previous episode where they lightly touched on uh, Ian Leslie Woolworth's commercials which you managed to track down the ads, Daniel, which we'll post up some more. And it's Rob yeah. doing his best impression of Ian Leslie of all those TV commercials, which aren't on YouTube at all. I've looked so damn hard. Can't find any. They've been wiped from the historical record. You know, if but you yeah, speak to the camera with unbearable intensity, you will run into an inanimate object at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't able to, to find any of the uh, actual TV ads on YouTube either. But, yeah, as I said, I was able to find newspaper versions on microfilm. And, yeah, they, they do seem to be as batshit crazy as the, the parody here. Rob, as Ian says, you know, if you, you know, you could stand in the middle of the MCG with every Woolworth store in Australia stacked on top of each other and put them on the back of a truck and drive them to Mount Kosciuszko. You know, it, it, like, it was just so weird. Now, also, I, I do have a, a bit of an update as to why the Woolworths ads existed. Um, and it comes, it's actually via Virginia Trioli. Mm. So uh, she she was writing at the time in the Green Guide um, with a semi-regular column called Ad Break. And so one of the columns is about the Woolworths ads. And she does mention that there's sort of, there's no call to action at the end. There's nothing about, you know, the specials of the week. Yeah, it, it does seem to be essentially trying to advertise the share issue float of Woolworths Limited, but without explicitly mentioning it. Because apparently you couldn't just um, due to ASIC regulations. It's still very much like a brand awareness campaign than, than anything else. Although, you know, obviously it is basically saying, please buy our shares. They couldn't actually advertise the share offer until a prospectus uh, is issued, which it hadn't yet. And even then, once the prospectus had been issued, they could only say, you know, like, essentially, the float is on, get your prospectus now, and that's it. As, uh, you know, as Rob says, you know, it's basically, it's, it's a mystifying series of commercials. Next segment is On the Couch, and Tony talks about the Streets Magnum ice cream ad, which is all over YouTube, and all the subtle uh, sexual references in it, and it should just be simply called the Streets Penis. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. All, 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 all I can remember about the ad is the fast-forward parody where they actually roll a condom on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, a, like it's, it's just a vanilla ice cream with thick chocolate on it. It's not... It's the close-ups, like, mate. It's the close-ups. Apparently, it's a sexual revolution. It was the 90s, man. You know, this, this, yeah. this, this, this was, was like a marketed as some kind of premium ice cream before you just had those have a hearts and the, you know, the really cheap Buffalo Bills or whatever. This is kind of appealing to the, the decadent end, the high end of the market that, you know, and, and, and women as well. And yeah, all the references. 
I think the idea was that it was it was an ice cream for adults, and mm. so here you have your adult, and clearly some of the brain, you know, the geniuses down at the ad agency went adult. Oh, I've been to one of those bookstores. <laughs> it had like premium chocolate, didn't it? And and it had proper vanilla ice cream with actual bits of vanilla and that you could see in the ice cream, and it had sort of proper adult, sophisticated flavors. I think coffee and caramel and stuff like this. So, so yeah, it was, as you say, a different market. And the, the paddle pop stick was different too. Oh, yeah, it was, was sort of thicker and it had a kind of bulge on it. Yeah, again, we're getting into penis territory. So. <laughs> we'll move on from that then to yeah, Tony talking about the Jewish New Year and the Australian New Year are very similar. So you go to the synagogue for two days and can't talk. And Tony had three casks of Coolabar wine and couldn't talk. Absolute Quick. parallel. Yep. Back to Sylvania Waters again. And Tony talks about how Brian Howe apologises to Nolene uh, in writing. And Nolene wanted the apology face-to-face. But Tony can see why Howe decided to write the letter instead of seeing her face-to-face. And there's an unflattering photo of Nolene up on the camera. <laughs> So it's yeah, it's a it's a very unflattering still image. They they must have had to go through frame by frame trying to find the perfect one. And mm. it got a few yeah, odd reactions to that one. Then we go to Jace on the couch, and now this where it goes a bit strange. Where Tony says, "Well, you're from New Zealand, so you wouldn't have grown up with Julius Sumner Miller." Now, why is that so? Well, glass and a half. Basically, it's just an excuse for Jace to go through old clips of Julius Sumner Miller doing all his scientific experiments on his TV show and trying to make a joke out of him. It, it felt like he thought the footage was funnier than it actually was. It, 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 this really feels like a bit of a filler sketch in, and I would put in this same category the one where Jane showed off her dolls. You know, they obviously thought, oh, this, this kind of old thing, this 20-year-old thing is going to be really funny and it, and it kind of wasn't. They do occasionally butt up against the, the limits of, you know, their nostalgia-based approach to pop culture. It's... There are times where they dig out old stuff. And it, it's interesting old stuff, but it's not funny old stuff. Uh, I was looking at how neat his writing was on the blackboard. <laughs> <laughs> that was impressive, yeah. Especially when, when he wrote, I'm a silly old bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget the very last part of it. Like, ha ho! Ha ho! It went! Yeah. <laughs> it certainly went. Yeah. That was when the gas tin kind of collapsed and exploded off camera. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's some sort of experiment to do with pressure and temperature. Well, I didn't realise he'd, he'd had this previous life before those Cadbury's ads with the egg and bottle trick where he'd actually been a science TV educator in the 60s. I, I wasn't aware of that at all. Oh, it was early Curiosity Show. Yeah. See, I remember the Curiosity Show, South Australia's own Curiosity Show, but I, I don't remember Julius Sumner Miller doing educational programs. Next segment is Shit Scared with a Resilient Rob and Mick at Lake Fear. And the whole <laughs> objective behind this one is Rob is riding at the Flying Fox with a stick of dynamite in his mouth, lit. <laughs> yeah, so you just go through a whole bunch of uh, awkward trial runs, a few accidents, incidents, and eventually Rob does the stunt and the dynamite blows up 
eight seconds into his 10 second countdown. No, well, well, actually, the, the, the joke is that um, Rob asks Mick how long uh, he's got, and uh, Mick says that he's got till eight. Uh, but the thing is that it's a countdown from 10, so it's 10, 9, 8, and then boom goes the dynamite. An Aaron Bocare specialty. <laughs> Absolutely huge explosion. It's a brilliant explosion. Does anyone know where Lake Fear is? Because I've I've been to similar places like that in Victoria, but I don't think it's the same one that I've been to. There there are a few places in in rural Victoria with kind of flying foxes and lakes that you know that they probably have slightly better health and safety now because that that does look pretty dangerous in in 2020 but but in 1992 that was perfectly acceptable as far as health and safety went for flying fox well see i'm i'm not sure where that lake is but there might be a clue in the end credits because um in the end credits they mentioned thanks to challenge cancer support network now i've got nothing to back this up but i think that they might have been running like some sort of a camp that is based at the lake I, i i tried looking online to try and see because they still run camps now for um, families living with cancer. But, yeah, I wasn't able to work out sort of any particular location where the lake would be. Well, if you know if anybody else knows uh, a bit more about um, where that lake is or maybe if there's any link to um, the Challenge Cancer Support Network, uh, let us know. Yeah, tweet us at, at TLS Champagne or send us an email, champagnelateshow at gmail.com. The next segment is Commercial Crime Stoppers and Mick and Santo are covering big props in commercials. <laughs> Such as, you know, Latan with the big lobster, the lounge discounter ads with the guy with the big hands. It's free time! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Tony White Nissen with the big pencil. Yeah, the, the, the one that they're referring to as the sexist commercial is available on YouTube where it's the whole simply irresistible piss take. Yeah, but, it's, you know, it's... they introduce the hot men as well. So, you know, something something for the ladies or, or for, for gay men there to enjoy. Well, if I remember rightly, the hot men one came later. Like, he did the, the simple yeah. irresistible one and it was controversial. So then he came up with his rebuttal, as it were, <laughs> yeah. and um, yeah, had the men do the same thing. They've got Tony White to participate in a few late show funnies. They, they've got him with his giant pencil going to vote um and and being a parking attendant and also him down the bank filling in a deposit slip which is something you have to explain to young people today because they don't know what deposit slips are lucky them um and then santa produces a giant sharpener which tony white's given him so you know yeah something the abc props department they're having to produce a giant sharpener a quick shout out to the the advertising agency that that came up with the original ads because like it, it gets talked over by uh, uh, Mick and Santo, but the lyrics are just so great. Tony White is so reliable. His Nissan cars are so desirable. His deals are undeniable. Like, such, like they they really broke out the Roman dictionary on this one. He's so approachable. His terms are so negotiable. He write a price unbeatable. It's a work of art. Oh man, I I want to buy a Nissan immediately. Where do I sign? Where do I get the pencil <laughs> to sign with? <laughs> yeah. They wrap up with uh, Steve Stinger Harris recreating the Lardacard commercial from the previous episode where it's just... Yeah, uh, uh, episode six and seven for those playing at home. Wearing the leotard and... It's it's leaping about in a tutu waving a ribbon. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to know much more than that. No. But (laughs) they drag him in to do a quick uh, reenactment, a rendition live on stage, and he ends up falling over 
So, and because he's a large fellow, Santo decides to put him down with a shotgun. Yeah. yeah. Bring out the screens. Bring out the shotgun. Yeah. Do, do you notice that Alf Camilleri comes in, wheels the screen on? Yeah. Oh, yes. Just as, you know, he's still twitching. Mick decides to. <laughs> i got to say, the, the amount of time and effort they did to put into this one, where they had the big whale harpoon in the studio. Oh, that's amazing. And Mick's sitting on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> ready to fire. A classic liner. One step ahead of you, Santo. It's a fat joke. It's a brilliant <laughs> one. The fact that they got him to play along with it. Yeah. I, I good on Steve. Yeah, he, he did a great job with that. But I have a theory about this sketch, which is the certainly the bit with Mick and the massive spear gun and the explosion. I think they would have had to shoot that you know, ahead of time. They could not have done that live in the studio with that level of explosion. So so my theory is that they cut to sort of pre-shot footage around that point. Yeah. I, I agree, Alison, yeah. Does it, that, it doesn't make it any less um, impressive, though. No, no. <laughs> hey, guess what? Our favourite non-talking teddy and... Who can build the biggest tower? He's not exactly there to build it because Shirty is on the run from the police after holding up a Seven Eleven and 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 returning with the uh, with pantyhose over his head. <laughs> and then Jane uh, gets held hostage. I, I like that she kind of valiantly carries on trying to build the tower even as as she's being held at gunpoint. <laughs> what is what a trooper. What a trooper. I don't know how much of that was Jane acting or, or her appearing very scared having to deal with all of the uh, the bangs and explosives occurring around her. It looked very scary looking there. Next segment is the toilet break and Tony introducing the Saturday show performance, I've got my love to keep me warm. <laughs> yeah, less said of this, the better, really. It was just a basic... No, this- this yeah. is this is a kind of idealised sort of 1970s winter cabin sort of themed song, isn't it? You know, where they're all they're all dancing around in their snow outfits with with their mulled wine, which for whatever reason they're serving in a punch bowl rather than <laughs> yeah. than having on the snow <laughs> to keep warm as per the song. So slight slight bit of pedantry for me there, but um, what a riot of colour this is! And it was. And it mm. made me want to have a hot toddy. Yeah, mulled wine would go down quite nicely with this song, I think. Yeah. If if only to kind of dent the experience of dreadful middle-of-the-road 1970s music. Next uh, sketch is Tom, and he breaks down on how to survive a health food shop with Jaina's <laughs> shopkeep. Now, this one is, wow, it's it holds up today, doesn't it? Like <laughs> It's so common. Like every second or third store now is a health food shop <laughs> i think this one holds up in places I, I think i think some of it kind of does date it like i don't think anybody's really that obsessed with pritikin or carob no no they were very 80s 90s things i mean these days it's all about organics and vegan stuff and i've read an article in some fancy might have been the new yorker house classy of me um <laughs> rehabilitate carob and was talking about oh no you can do you can still do stuff with it but it was the kind of article where if you knew nothing about it you knew that carob was definitely on its last legs 
if somebody was writing this kind of story about it. I think the Carob marketing board must be doing a brilliant job because I, I read that Carob was going to be a hot new food trend in The Guardian recently. So, um, <laughs> you know. It's coming it was way ahead of its time. I, I, yeah. love, I love the fact that some of the name suggestions, there's Hooked on Health, Tom Sawyer Bean, and their, the name for their show, oh, for their shop, is healthy, wealthy, and overpriced. Yeah, <laughs> health food shop equivalent of Tony Martin's video store. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, actually, yeah, very much so. And did you catch the mineral waters that they were offering? There was that you had. Oh. They're all French, so you know Perrier, <laughs> Evian, and Mount Urine. <laughs> With a slight yellow tinge, I noticed for the Mont Urine water there. <laughs> I. I was, I was also amused by the tropical muesli, which was basically tinned pineapple and kitty litter. <laughs> I think the, the the part of this sketch which does really hold up well is the exchange between Tom and Jane at the end, sort of with, with Jane trying to catch Tom out. Tom's trying to order a salad roll and he's asked, you know, white or wholemeal, uh, you're not going to catch me there. I know that wholemeal is important because it's got fibre, butter or margarine. Uh, trick question there. But it's got cholesterol. <laughs> Margarine has chemicals in it. I'll have tahini spread, and then it just it just gets faster and faster. So, lettuce if it's hydroponic, tomato if it's organic, cheese. Uh, I don't do dairy. Carrot, yes. Tofu, yes. Alfalfa, yes. You want fries with that? Yes. Oh, butter, no. <laughs> <laughs> that exchange I think holds up really well, especially when you know, like, there's so many different dietary options in every bloody cafe. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the next sketch is Again, and this is one of the best ones And that's hide and seek with Shirty A la Silence of the Lambs Slash Buffalo Bill <laughs> this, this one's just fantastic If you haven't seen Silence of the Lambs Then yeah, this one will just go straight over your head Although mind you, it, it does have uh, Jane being very well Shirty with Shirty really uh, you know, she says that uh, I don't think children's shows should have serial killers, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Seems a reasonable place to draw the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For some reason wasn't included in the best bits. I thought that this was a very strong one. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And now we have time for Graham and the Colonel, which they have their first proper intro. Yay! Tough on compromising, no holds barred, no beg your pardons. It's time for those intellectual sparring partners, Graham and the Colonel, with the sports montage. They pack in quite a lot into the, the new titles because it's about 15 seconds long and I, I, I went I went through it, you know, like at, what, half speed roughly, uh, going through it. Like they, they pack in, there's some sort of an indoor sport where there's some sort of a paunchy guy goalkeeper falling uh they throw in curling and some sort of over enthusiastic netballer shimmying about i don't know where they got the footage of there's some sort of a playboy bunny basketballer that they've slowed down i I don't know what that context would have been in originally we've seen the kid running with a tire dragging behind there's some sort of a quoits game t-ball a man throwing something in front of benton and hedges signage so that's bloody old uh, ten pin bowling, gymnastics, uh, kids in tracksuits putting basketballs in a figure eight around their legs with one chasing after a, a basketball that's gone away, and then ending up with a bunch of middle aged cheerleaders, one of whom looks a bit like Nolene Donahue. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's just, there's so much packed into just a 15 second uh, montage. Mm-hmm. And it's all, it's, it's all very. 
I think from memory, uh, they say in the DVD commentary that they were looking for pissy ABC kind of sports. And they yeah. they really they really hit the gold mine. It's a lot like now they they do the similar concept um, of of montage in Have you been paying attention for for the various segments that they have? There's a sport one, there's a showbiz one with people falling off stages and and yeah. and all that. So yeah. it's a formula yeah. they they used again and again in their career that that sort of crappy clip montage. Mm, there's one where they're they're going down skating uh what is it some kind of what do they call that thing where in the winter sports the luge yeah let's start again there's one bit where they're going down in the luge and the person's bum is exposed after the (laughs) after the tights get split and whenever we see that we yell out bum (laughs) my 11 year old daughter knows that we're watching have you been paying attention when she can hear us going bum (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the topics that they cover in Graham and the Colonel. Well, first one is Imran Khan retiring from cricket. He's a great all-rounder, a great batsman, and a great womanizer. And that joke, <laughs> <laughs> Rob was trying so hard for those jokes. He wanted Absolutely. the credit for that joke. Yeah, <laughs> he had to repeat the jokes. <laughs> That's my joke. Great all-rounder, great batsman, great womanizer. Loves lingering at the scene of the crime there and uh, lambasts the audience for uh, not laughing at the joke considering how hard they uh, they worked for it. And then and then suddenly the colonel blames Graham only for that joke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then there's a reference to Pakistan is known for their good-looking men. I did write down the names, but I'm not going to pronounce it because I realised that I didn't write it out phonetically. I don't want to say him wrong. All right, Safraz Nawaz and Abdul Kadir. I think you said those right. I'm pretty sure. All right. Well, Con- considering I don't know who Dean Jones is, uh, I think you pronounced it. <laughs> <laughs> and they talk about the Tui's 1000. And Colonel wanted to race, but there was no category for the donut van. <laughs> and Graham already had his chance in the Tui's 1000. He raced in a Gogo mobile. G-O-G-G-O. And the whole audience chimes in there. Yeah, isn't that amazing? The power of advertising that. Mm. Um, yeah, everybody knows that. Everybody knows the spelling now. And the colonel mm-hmm. asks Graham, "It's like, so who was your co-driver?" Graham says, "Oh, I can't remember what her name was, but it was a pink lady." Yeah. And... <laughs> now, what's what? What's that? What's that in reference to? Ah. So that's the famous uh, yellow pages ad. So it's about about you can find it on YouTube, but it's a. Uh, the boy accidentally smashes a lamp that's in the shape of a pink lady and so he has to call all the ah. shops to try and track it down and he's like, oh, it's a pink lady and she's not wearing any clothes and and it's he goes on and he call, makes all these phone calls and then he finally finds it, replaces the, the lamp. It's actually a pink lady lamp and then his mum comes in and smashes it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's um, it's one of those ads that, yeah, if, if you saw it in the 90s, you'd always remember it when you see it again. Mm. I'll tweet the ads out because they're very common on YouTube and very popular. Up there with the not happy Jans type of Yellow Pages signature commercials. But mm-hmm. speaking of Yellow Pages, this, you know, <laughs> I will admit Rob really went with this because after all those Yellow Pages jokes, he had this. Lucky we did those jokes on Yellow Pages. Oh. <laughs> Just a bit too simple, I believe. I might go all the way back to the all-rounder joke. 
And yeah, <laughs> all our sketches were written on physical pages that were yellow. Because they often used to write them on green paper, didn't they? Like you'd see green paper as they chucked it around and white paper. So they, they did it on yellow paper this time. Just for a crappy gag. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And Daniel, I just wanted to, to flag up. You you genuinely are using yellow pages to prop up your monitor, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> I, I am. It's an it's a it's an Adelaide A to Z 2013 vintage. Vintage. Mm. Much 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 thicker than the the combined white and yellow pages uh, are today. They also make a reference to Sylvania Waters one more time. So it's like three references to Sylvania Waters in this episode because Paul and Dion got married and Nolene and Laurie were thinking of getting married, but the mystery ex-husband of Nolene, the Colonel, confesses it's him. And that's how they end it. Mm, and no, Nolene does reveal this in the book. She says, oh, yes, it was actually Santo. No, she doesn't really. But... <laughs> this seemed like a very short Graham and the Colonel this week. I like, mm. like, like I think the rest of the episode was so much more packed that they, they essentially ran out of time, probably fortunately for, um, for Rob and Santo. They just didn't have much time to, to, to go through all the shows. Yeah, there was only no. just four yeah. topics. That was it. Yeah. Well, also the the final bit where they're all sitting around on the sofas at the end is is also very short, um, which usually indicates that they're running slightly behind. Yeah. And and I think they they may well have done that as a result of that that Greek and Roman sketch earlier, which looked like it was sort of overrunning slightly. So now we have the closing, which is the final of the Bert Newton Gallery, and they announced the winner, the Mona Bert and Sharon West from Fairfield. On two tickets to New Faces. Yeah. <laughs> Not even two tickets to The Late Show, two tickets to New yeah. Faces. <laughs> and then, yeah, they wrap up the show. So they go straight into the closing credits and the audience tickets, which was shown in Melbourne, uh, they had Steve from the lighter car had come back and he wraps a message to the audience to say to call the phone number, the office hours number. Yeah, he uh, really tried to wrap that wearing his goofy hat. Was he trying to sort of, you know, launch a rap career here or something? I don't know. What's going on there? I think he might have been based in Perth because there's a YouTube channel of his with four videos on it, a couple of which are, like, you know, doing commercials and showreels and that sort of thing. If you want to have a look, it's youtube.com slash stingeraris. That's youtube.com slash Stinger A R I S. Oh, Aris. I've been saying Harris. Okay. Oops, it's Aris. My apologies. There's one of the videos is actually him on red faces. But, um, you know, certainly, you know, he seems to be like an all round entertainer sort of guy if you have a look at the show reels. There's one, one more thing it's, it's the Michael Hirsch credit. And the, the comedy credit for Michael Hirsch this week is Papa Luigi franchisee. <laughs> <laughs> There's quite a lot of special guests in this episode as well. So, yeah, we had Steve Harris, who was in Commercial Crime Stoppers. Um, now, the next three, it's only a guess that these three uh, were uh, in the Papa Luigi uh, pizza ad because uh, we had Christelle Bianca, Luigi Cengale, and uh, Betty Doran. So my guess is that um, Crystal was the kid in the family with Rob and Jane. Um, Luigi was the fat and jolly chef and Betty was the big Italian mama. And then, of course, as themselves, we had George Negus um, up the top of the show in Foreign Correspondent and Tony White in Commercial Crime Stoppers again. There was also that thanks to Challenge uh, Cancer Support Network. So, yeah, they're a charity based in Victoria that provides a range of ongoing support and recreational activities 
uh, for families living with cancer. And if you want to donate to them, you can go to challenge.org.au. Thank you for your community service announcement, Daniel. Happy to help. Now, while we're about to wrap up the episode, we will get back into the long and ongoing competition that we've got is to record your favourite quote and send it in to us. There's been about three or four people who have tweeted and still they promised to send something through. Please do, don't be shy. Here's a quick montage. I made love to her like a tiger. Like a tiger. Uh, g'day from uh, Dominic. How are you? No miss, mister. Ladies and gentlemen, do you believe in mental telepathy? No, I hear you think. You can say what you want about me. I may be ugly, but at least I'll never be. As ugly as an Angular Weber. And you could win an unopened copy of Any Questions for Ben, which is worth now more than what I originally got it for because it's discontinued. And How can that be worth more now than it was then? It's discontinued. Well, if you win this, you could end up uh, placing it. It'll look good right next to Guru Wayne. Well, Daniel did suggest I throw in the Sylvania Waters diary, but the, I'll have to wait until they finish referencing well, um, uh, yes. everything. I, I said that, I said that in, in what was essentially an, an on-air meeting, um, so like, which, which which ended up being cut out because, yeah, again, I don't know if you want to part with that or not. Oh, oh God, I'm just going to get their Guru Wayne's. <laughs> Yeah, here we go, Guru Wayne. Yeah, I don't know Guru, Guru Wayne. Wayne. I just have four copies of You Can't Stop the Bird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have my copy, but believe me, I do actually have a copy of Guru Wayne. I was looking, I, th- I, thought, I thought I might have had a copy of the Stairways to Heaven CD, but I don't. I just love the, the back of Guru Wayne. says, starring the cream of Australian comedy and in tiny font and some real actors as well. <laughs> And of all yeah, points, they, 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 they did manage to rope in quite a lot of people into it. Um, oh yeah, but yeah, the, the the source material it's it's not that good. Well, I will say that like the reason why we're uh, bringing up Guru Wayne is because Tony Martin's in it uh, for a minute or so. Same with uh, Jane Turner, Mark Downey, all previous Gen uh, Loom, and um, you've got Bob Franklin as well. So and he's a bit startled in it. And then I believe Alison has might be donating an item. Here they are, and they will go in the post next week. We've got the uh, Degeneration Bumper Book of Aussie Heroes and also a copy of the Jet Lag Travel Guide Fake Tan uh, Sunstroke on a Shoestring. So if anyone's lacking those things, they will be part of this amazing prize pool including any questions for Ben and any other random items we can we oh, can yeah. gather together. We're, we're going to make this all the way, I'd say we'll probably make it go all the way to the end of season two or, <laughs> yep. or, or to yep. the end of season one and then we can start a new pack in season two. We're making up as we go along. I did mention previously that I took it back, but now I'm going to put it back in again, is the Ripper... 76 vinyl as well. This is like sale of the century. You know, every week the prize pool increases. You know, every whatever show really, the prize pool increases. Unfortunately, there won't be a $60,000 cash jackpot as well. But, you know, I do have my uh, copy of New Idea from October 17, 1992. Oh. Has that got a picture of Rick Parfitt in that? Or, oh, wait, no, no, no. Tommy Manuel. <laughs> oh, no, it doesn't. It does have a, a large big W catalogue in the middle. Wow. 
<laughs> so you can also look at what baby products look like back then. And you, you can slip through that as you consume any unsubmerged items from the Bain Marie. Yes. <laughs> so we're pre- pretty much it's a piss week prize pack. So for your most piss week entry. So please send them through, record them on your phone. Uh, or record it on YouTube and send us the link to champagnelateshow at gmail.com. We promise you will get something when we end up just giving up and say, all right, here you go, you can have it. Yeah, again, thank you very much for listening. That was episode 11 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. Uh, my name is Matt, and I just want to say a big thank you to Alison, Daniel, Kim, Tony. Thank you for coming along again um, after uh, last year's success. You're back again for this year. <laughs> Thanks for letting me back on. Excellent. <laughs> And I will say that uh, I know next episode, episode 12, this is how interactive our podcast is. We're actually getting a listener who is going to be a guest reviewer as well. So there you go. So again, thank you for your feedback, positive, negative, whatever. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes and uh, yeah, we'll love you even more. So thank you. And my name is Matt. This has been the Champagne Comedy Podcast. Catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions, mattfulton.com.au.